Well, hello and welcome to Faithbrook Church. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Mike Delgallo and I serve as a Connections Pastor here on staff. And it really is so, so good to be able to worship here on site, worship together online, and for those of you watching later, on demand as well. Well, if you are a guest with us, maybe you've been coming for the last couple of weeks, maybe this is your very first time joining in, whichever you find yourself, I just want to give you a special and warm welcome and and uh, thank you for taking time out of your weekend to come and join in. In fact, I want to encourage you to reach to the seat back in front of you and grab that blue connection card. And if you wouldn't mind just filling out your information. And at the end of the service, if you would just drop that off in the offering box as you leave the worship center, that would be awesome. You can also go to faithbrook.church forward slash guest and you can submit a connection card there as well. Well, whether you fill out a connection card physically or digitally, two things will happen. The first, I would love to just follow up with you and just say a quick hello and just to thank you for joining in. And second, on behalf of Faithbrook, we would love to make a $5 donation to one of our nonprofit ministry partners. And this would just be on uh, anonymously on your behalf. And this is just a way to celebrate you joining in. And it's also something we do each and every week. And it's also a way for us to participate in some local outreach in a way that we can be for the city and partner with, uh, partner with our local nonprofit partners and to support them and to see the good that they're doing around here. So I look forward to connecting with you and I look forward to making that donation on your behalf as well. Well, guys, next weekend is Kickoff Sunday. We're going to be having an awesome event, and you'll be sure not to, to miss out. And as we have kickoff, uh, there's going to be some awesome things happening after both services. We're going to have a taco truck, a pizza guy, uh, donuts will be inflatables for kids of all ages, so you want to be sure not to miss out. But the reason we have an event like kickoff and to have something really fun to kick off the fall season, the whole reason we do that is so that we have an opportunity opportunity for you to be able to invite a, a friend or a family member and invite them to church that they may have the opportunity to experience and encounter God. That's the whole reason why we do this. And so that's why for the last month, we've been asking you a simple question of who's your one? You ask yourself, who is the one person, that one person that uh, you can be praying for and invite to fall kickoff? Now, I know sometimes we think of inviting, and it seems a little daunting, right? We think of uh, walking up to a stranger with that invite card, and you say, hey, come check out Faithbrook Church, which if you did do that, I commend you for doing that, and that's awesome if you do. But I don't think it always has to be that awkward or that challenging. In fact, I was just encouraged. I heard of a story a couple of weeks ago of someone who was praying and asking God, okay, God, who is, who is one person that I can invite this uh, to fall kickoff? And they pulled out their phone and they started, uh, they looked at their text messages and they started scrolling through. And they came across someone who they hadn't messaged in a while and they, uh, they sent them a text. And they and it said this, hey, I've uh, been the, just thinking about you. Is there anything I could be praying for? And after a couple back and forth exchanges, they eventually uh, ended up inviting them to fall kickoff. And I don't know about you, but that just encourages me a little bit because inviting doesn't have to be so awkward and with a stranger. In fact, sometimes it's just it's as simple as inviting someone you already know, someone you already have a relationship with. And it can even be as easy as sending a text message and inviting them to, to come to church and to be able to have the opportunity to encounter and experience 
God. So I hope you're encouraged, and you know, this week, uh, as we go, that we are praying, and we're asking God to, to illuminate someone to be praying for, and to also have the courage to invite them. And I look forward to seeing you uh, kick off, and also to meeting that one person that you invite as well. Well, in just a few moments, we're going to hear a message from our lead pastor, Jim Comfort, as we wrap up our summer series, Summer on the Mount. Hey, good morning. I'm Pastor Jim. Welcome to Faith Brew. If you're watching us online, thank you for coming to our 1030 uh, service. We are transforming into fall. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about fall. Uh, kids get back in school. There seems to be a little bit more rhythm. The temperatures uh, cool down a little bit. And uh, next week, it's going to be our, our big kickoff Sunday. Well, as Pastor Mike was saying, we're coming to the end of our summer series. We called it Summer on the Mount. Really, we just went through Christ's longest sermon that was recorded, the Sermon on the Mount. We discovered that Jesus spoke to over 20 different objects and issues out there. And some of them have been inspiring. But frankly, a lot of times, they've been pretty confronting. So Jesus has these group of people that are following him. And he's really like, hey, if you want to follow me, this is what Christianity, true, authentic Christianity is going to look like. Now, we come to one of the last passages found in chapter 7 that is probably one of the most confronting, maybe uncomfortable passages that we would want to hear. When he says these words, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. Now, you have to remember, so we have all these people that are kind of following Jesus. He's kind of the new guy on the block. He claims he's the Messiah. Maybe he can overthrow the, the Roman Empire. He's doing these miracles. They've been going through this, living in this Judaism, and he's bringing a, a new faith, a new religion, and he's like, hey, I'm raising the bar here. Uh, uh, if you're going to follow me, I, I need you to participate and have these attitudes and these behaviors if you want to be true disciples. And so he says, hey, there's two gates. There's two roads. There's the one that's wide, broad. People are a lot on it. And then there's the narrow one. And only a few are traveling that road. This morning, I'd like to just take a moment and look at some of these roads, why Jesus said this and a couple of characteristics about them. So the wide one, let's start with the wide. I would equate to uh, the wide road is, is a highway today, right? Everybody's familiar with highways. Hey, uh, the interstates are awesome. It gets you there fast. A lot of people are, are on it. It's wide, it's popular. There's things that you can do along on the way. It, it, it's, it's life, right? Um, kind of reminds me of the Eagles song, Life, in the fast lane, right? We're just participating, just kind of mindlessly going for whatever's the coolest thing, the most gratifying thing, the, the fun thing. Remember when you're young, you're like, hey man, I want to live the life. I want the party life. Where can I go? Hang out with everyone. Just seems like that's the place to be. Just um, get all you can. Now, when we get a little bit older, it seems like the wide road is like, hey, I want, I want to get all the money I can. I got to build my career. I want to, to experience all the things that the world has to experience. I want my kids to, to experience that. We're just packing our life, going fast, this and that. And, and we like the money. Sometimes we, we cut corners. We're hustling out there. And we're really never paying attention to our soul. 
We're not paying attention to the, the core things of our life. And, and before we know it, man, we get caught up in what the culture is ex- advertising, exposing us to. We want the finer things in life. We want that new, good-looking, comfortable, and ease. It's all about comfort and ease. Everyone's doing it. It's super popular. Why is it, aren't you doing it? Because it's about ease and comfort. You know, someone says living in the fast lane is great as long as you know where the speed bumps are. Because a lot of times there can be some problems in the fast lane. Now, I've discovered that when everyone's on this road and we're just rolling down fast and just experience whatever the world wants us to experience, a lot of times we lose track of God. Uh, half the time we're, we're doing so well, we don't need God. We don't really need a moral compass. We'll just do life on our own. Did you hear about the new Harvard University chaplain? They, they appointed a new chaplain, and this chaplain's a little different. He's an atheist. So you have a chaplain that's an atheist. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but his name is Greg Estep. And he was raised Jewish, but he identifies himself as a humanist. His approach to life is reason, or common humanity. He wrote a book called God, or Good Without God. And in the book, he says, we don't look to God for answers. We are each other's answers. Well, what do you think of that? Uh, on the surface, it's like, okay, well, you know, Everyone has the capacity to do good, and we can just look to each other's answers, and we don't need God. We don't need narrow road or rigid philosophies. or something. Let's just do what everyone wants. We're each other's answers. Well, well, how far do you take that? But what if everyone said, you know, I just think it's okay. If you're, if you're hurting and you're down, you can just go steal from your neighbor because you're broke and you're hurting. Just, just go and steal from different people's lawn. If we all agree with that. Would, that. would that be okay? Anything wrong with that? What if we all agree to say, you know, love is love, and we're, we're just going to expand whatever marriage wants to be. If you want to, you know, to be married to two, three people at the same time, just multiple spouses, that's, that's fine. What if we all did that? Would anything intrinsically kind of be different with that? Uh, you know, what if the, the population said, you know, we, we don't really appreciate certain people's relig- this religion or that religion or certain skin colors, and... We just feel as a whole that we're just going to push them out, discriminate against them. Would, would that be okay? Hmm. Well, I remember a couple of weeks ago, I stumbled on a historical American debate. This historical debate was called the Lincoln-Douglas debate, and it was held in 1858. Does anybody know what was happening in 1858? Two things were happening in America. One, the America West was being advanced. No new states were being developed and coming online. Second thing, there was a major political tension uh, between uh, allowing slavery or continuing slavery with the southern states. We were like, hey, this helps us economically. We're pretty comfortable with this. We ought to continue to do with this. While the northern states were like, "Uh, I'm not sure if that ethically is right. I I think that's a hard no, right? And there's this tension raising up. Well, here's this young Senator Abraham Lincoln, he's vying for the Senate um, seat in the great state of Illinois. The incumbent is Stephen Douglas, and so they had this epic, giant debate uh, for this Senate seat, and it all revolved around the spread of slavery or not. Now, Lincoln, he argued against the spread of slavery, while Douglas maintained that, hey, 
each new territory, state coming on, shouldn't, shouldn't be forced not to have slaves. They just take a vote, and whatever the people is, uh, that, that would determine. It's kind of like the, the East Step um, notion that we are each other's answers. And so if that state says it's okay for slavery, hey, we are the, the moral compass. People can figure it out like that. But there was something different about Abraham Lincoln. He wasn't even the president yet. He was, he was debating against that. Where, where did he get that? Maybe he got it from the Founding Fathers in our Declaration of Independence, which says we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inerrable rights. So where did he get the value and the notion that each person is created equally, no matter their background, their religion, their color? Could it be that he got it from a higher power, a higher authority, a creator that gives us our inerrable rights. Not what our neighbor thinks, not what our common thinking, our value is. There's something transcendent, something greater morally, spiritually, than, than what the population thinks. Now remember, a lot of our forefathers were deists. Uh, they weren't necessarily uh, biblical Christians, many of them were, but a lot of them bl- believed in God, and m- many of them knew the Bible, and they didn't force the country and the Constitution to t- adapt a certain religion, <clears throat> but they did know that there was a <clears throat> higher power, a transcendent authority, and this is where Lincoln <clears throat> would get his, his convictions. Eventually, he would <clears throat> lead the way to free uh, the slaves and, and fight for that because of this authority. Sometimes it's just easier not to pay attention to God, and we think we can do life well until those speed bumps show up. For example, I I felt for this lady that I overheard a conversation on the radio. She's a kind of a local celebrity, and she's got serious cancer. So her colleague is is calling and asking her how, how her journey's going, and she's confessing, man, it's pretty tough. It's not looking that good. And he's like, well, how do you manage that? And she said, you know, I've learned to just kind of release what I can't control and <clears throat> deal with what I can't control. And I just, I just let it go. And I thought, well, you know, on the surface, I'm like, okay, yeah. But then it's like, well, you know, in those down times where you got to surrender, are you giving it to anybody? Is anybody in your corner? Is anybody you can take the deepest fears and needs in your life to? See, see for myself or people following Christ, we have a person we can surrender things to. We have a person that's in our corner that is walking with us, that is crying with us and hurting with us. And, and that power of, of, of the good, gracious God that we learned last week is there. So when we release things, we're, we're giving it to God. The Bible tells us that we can cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. This poor woman, she's, she's on her own. She's just navigating the toughest things in her life on her own. You know, people out there say, well, I'm sending good thoughts. I'm like, okay, is there any power in those thoughts? Can those thoughts do anything for you? See, we believe there is a supernatural power through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit that when we pray, God intercedes. God knows what's happening. In fact, at our church here, we have this prayer chain. And when people are up against it, they, they tell the prayer chain or Pastor Peggy, and she lets these people, and they're praying. 
God, those people need some breakthroughs. They need some healing. They need some intervention. They need some help. And, and God is working. Sometimes he delivers right away. Sometimes he's it's like, hey, I got a better plan. Sometimes it's, it's wait, but he's, he's able. And we're not just alone. But a lot of times when we're on the wide road, we are alone. We're just got a lot of colleagues going down the same road. So Jesus says that this wide road, many are on it, but it's going to lead to something. And he says it leads to destruction. Destruction, what, what does that mean? Well, the, the original concept there is something is going to die. Something's going to perish. Now, I realize that a lot of people who are not paying attention to God and they're on the broad road, it's not like their life is just breaking down all the time and they have this horrific bad life, okay? Uh, that's not always true. However, eventually, if you don't have a true north, if you're not paying attention to what God, who God is and what he wants for your life, pretty soon... There's a force that's built in us. It's called human nature. And there's a human nature that's always kind of leaning towards the self. That that's the, the motivation, the selfish centeredness. And at first it starts cropping up. Uh, Greg Rochelle said this. Our natural trajectory is always towards the path of least resistance. Hey, the broad road, the easy road. Unfortunately, we gravitate towards what is easy, but what is easy is rarely right. And pretty soon there's some destructions. Now, I'm going to submit to you today that there's two major uh, destructions that can happen. One, one happens in this life. For example, when we do not pay attention to God and what he wants for our lives, pretty soon there's social destructions. Now, sometimes it's headline news. Uh, there is some horrific crimes. Uh, yesterday, of course, we, we just uh, memorialized the 20-year anniversary in 9-11 that horrific incident that changed the world and the deaths. Every week we see murders and crimes and um, issues that just break our heart. What, what is going on out there? Um, but a lot of times the, the, the perishing is inwardly. It's privately. It's secretly. It's in our mind. It's in our emotions. It's in our soul. Privately, people are going down the road of envy they're dealing with discouragement. They're dealing with bitterness. Sometimes it's strangling debt. Many times it's lust. And, and then there's broken relationships. And there's um, uh, meanness and abuse and emptiness. These social destructions that lead when we are not following God's way. Jesus said it leads to destruction. Now there's, there's another destruction too, and that's the afterlife. The destruction he talks about is what we, we use as that word, you know, H-E, double hockey sticks, that word, right? He's talking about this, and, and some of you are like, no, don't talk about that word, right? Uh, do you really believe that? I'm not sure about that. But Jesus talked about it. In fact, Jesus brought it up more than anywhere. One place in Matthew 25, he says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Other places in the Bible, this eternal punishment talks about a fire and brimstone, gnashing. It's a terrible, uh, bad place, but, but it's not very popular to speak about. It's, it's not like every pastor's like, hey, I love to preach about hell, right? Hey, if you're, if you're on the wide path, you're going to hell. Oh, no, I don't want to hear about that. In fact, most people say, I don't believe that, right? I'm not going to believe that. 
Wow, I'm going to challenge you with that theory. I know it's uncomfortable, it's confronting, but if you don't believe in an afterlife, just, just do some research on near-death experience. You can, you can YouTube, and it's amazing how many people have uh, stopped breathing and, and their heart, and, and they go into this state, and almost all of them come back and say, oh my goodness, there's something on the other side. Many of them like saying, I've never experienced such a, a love and a warmth and a peace. In fact, many of them say it's just incredible light and love, and I didn't want to come back to this life, and they did to share. Some people have encounters like, oh, I, I saw what that, that hellish thing was happening. It was not good. It, it's kind of real out there. Now, a lot of times we don't want to accept it. We don't want our preachers talking about it, that there could be a heaven and a hell, and I could be on that road. I know what ACD says, hey, highway to hell, yeah, no problem, but it could be a problem, right? Kind of reminds me of, of, the, of the teenager uh, that doesn't want to uh, hear the instructions of his parents and says, you need to do your homework. You need to get educated, you need to study, because if you don't, when you get older, it's going to show up and there's going to be some pain, there's going to be some regrets, and I don't want you to have those regrets, so get studying. Well, the, the student, child is like, I don't want to hear that. I, that's not going to be there. I got this. Because they only think short term. They're just thinking, hey, what's comfortable? What's easy? I don't want to hassle with homework. This weekend, this week, I'm okay. Everything's great. But the good parent knows life. They've been there. They know that if you don't get educated, there's going to be some consequences. There's going to be some hardships later on. And so why does the parent nag the child and tell them that and threaten them that there's going to be some, some consequences later if you don't because the parent loves them? This is what Jesus is doing. He, he's saying, man, I want to tell you this is the truth. And if you're on this road, you're on this path, there's going to be destructions. Get off of that path because I love you. I'm not trying to make your life miserable. He doesn't want to see anyone in hell, but he's warning us. Now, this is the negative part of this passage, but Jesus gives us a positive, alternative part of the, the wide road, and he gives the alternative to a narrow road. Now, the narrow road that very few are traveling on uh, reminds us maybe as, as a path. Um, a path is, is simple. It's kind of quiet. It's humble. And it usually follows the contours of of the landscape of that time. And this is a symbol of the Christian life. God's asking us to follow his contour, his ways. It's not a crowded path. Many will be on it. It's, it's less traveled, but he's going to be with us on this path. Now, on this path, he, he says it leads to something. And he says it leads us to life. Now, the word life in the Greek is zoe. A zoe means an abundant fullness of life. Many of you are familiar with John 10.10 10 that says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you zoe. I've come to give you life. The King James says abundant life. The, the NIV says a full life. This is a, a life that's fulfilling. This is a life that can be satisfying. This is a life that can be overflowing. Here at Faithbrook, we like to call it a thriving life. We want people to, to come to Christ and have a thriving life in, in Christ Jesus. But it takes a, 
a cleansing, a forgiveness, a, a new life in Christ to come in us. And then very soon from the inside out, it, it moves into our outlooks of life. <clears throat> it, it moves into our emotions. <clears throat> it moves into our behaviors and how we treat people and our attitudes. Because God wants us to have this life. The Apostle Paul, he spoke about this life to the, the people in Romans, in Romans 8, 6. The mind governed by the flesh leads to death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. How many of you want life and peace? This is what Jesus is offering. Now, when I was younger, you know, uh, um, I resisted really uh, giving in my life to Christ. Because Christianity and a lot of people I saw were really boring, narrow, and really nerdy, I guess, right? And so I'm this teenager guy, and I'm thinking, man, I really want to get serious with Jesus. I'm already kind of nerdy, boring, narrow. I I, I grew up in this kind of Christian family, and and my friends at the lunch table and what was on TV, man, they're, they're partying. Woo, they're drinking and having a great time and women and wah, smiling. And I'm like, wow, why, why would I want to go with Jesus when all this life is out there? And I, I need to experience that, right? I thought that's what would fulfill me. I, I thought that's what would happen. But finally, someone said, Jim, here, here's the truth. What you're looking for in all those parties and the fun and the thrill it's not going to totally satisfy you because eventually that runs its course. Eventually it doesn't deal with the inner needs. And what you're looking for are acceptance, love, purpose, security. It's not there. It's found in Jesus Christ who went to the cross for you. You know who he is. He's asking for your life. Would you give him a chance instead of jumping into all this party life that's always on the surface. Man, it looks popular, but it cannot meet what you really need in your innermost. I finally came to that decision after trying it my way, trying to experiment what they did and the wide road. Finally, I realized it couldn't give me what Christ could give me. And I let him come into my life, and he started transforming my life. Two summers ago, we took a long road trip to the northwest corner of Montana. Our oldest son, Matthew, and his wife moved up there because they like camping and hiking. Well, in that northwest corner is where uh, Glacier National Park is. And National Park, Glacier National Park, holds the, the highest, biggest, uh, gorgeous peaks of the Rocky Mountains. Now, it took us 17 hours on the large road, the highway, and you're just kicking back cruise control, kind of just mindless with everybody else going that far. But when we arrived and we got into that valley, that pristine, gorgeous valley, it, it was awesome, right? Now, he says, Mom and Dad, now tomorrow we're, we're going to take you up hiking. And uh, you need to go hiking and get prepared. Like, oh, okay, well, now it's going to be different than the highway where everybody's on it. You can get off. It's nice and easy. It's going to be a little tricky. you got to put on your hiking boots and because we're going to be going uphill, and there's going to be some boulders, and there's going to be some slippery places and, and narrow nuts, and it's going to probably take us uh, t- two hours to get up to this lake. Are, are you up for that? And I, uh, we think we are. And, and, and by the way, there's bears. Like, what? Yeah, we have grizzly bears. Uh, how are we going to do with that? Well, I got my bear spray, and uh, we're going to be okay. Okay, right? 
So we, we started our, our two hours, right? And man, it, it was different than the highway. It was quiet. It was beautiful and, and pristine. And we're walking under this canopy of the pine trees and the sun's coming up and the, the rays are coming through and there's the Brooklyn uh, uh, Creek and there's some birds and, and we're walking over these boulders. And I mean, I remember a couple of these times we're walking around this, this cliff or a hill and, and right there, there's just this, this giant, beautiful uh, valley with, with sun spraying into it. You don't see anything like this in Minnesota. It's just overwhelming. And so we're trucking, trying to pay attention to where we're stepping, staying away from the bears, whatever. Finally, the city slickers, we finally get two hours way up there, and we break open into Avalanche Lake, this beautiful, gorgeous uh, valley holding this pristine at that time, turquoise, clear, pure water. Uh, the the uh, waterfalls uh, trickling into this. It was just like heaven on earth. It was so worth the two-hour narrow path to get up to this beautiful lake. What a great time. My friends, this is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, I know the path is narrow. I know very few will be willing to navigate it and pay the price. But one day there's going to be a Zoe. There's going to be an everlasting life in your life. And so we discover in this passage that a thriving life is found on the road less traveled. A thriving life is on the path less traveled. Now, Jesus knows that this path is not always easy. Uh, there's going to be some navigation. There's going to be some uphill. There's going to be some, you're going to have to be intentional. You're going to have to be disciplined. You're going to have to be focused. In fact, he just said it right up front in Matthew 16. If anyone wants to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, the flesh, right? You need to take up your cross and follow me. Man, that's not always easy to do that. But when we decide to get on the narrow path, the thriving life, that few are on, it should show up in our life, in our everyday life. It should show up in our philosophy of life, in our views. For, for example, we, can, we could have a, a very humanistic approach and say, you know what, we don't need God, we don't need church, we don't need the Bible, we just do things on our own, right? We just figure out how to solve society's hate and issues and issues, right? Sometimes I want to ask, well, how's that working for our society? When nobody pays attention to God anymore in our country, and we wonder why there's so much poverty, wonder why there's so much hate, why there's so much strife, could it be that, that, that we had just turned our backs? However, if we're going to follow him, then, then our viewpoint of life should be different. For instance, a biblical worldview, this is what we call it. So when we walk through life, we see life differently. We're like, oh, well, God created this world. We need to take care of this world. Uh, he owns it. He, he gave us a moral compass in his word, right? And in the moral compass is how we have a relationship with him and also how we have a relationship with our fellow citizens, how we treat each other. What do we do with grievances? What do we do with uh, complications? And right there he, in his teachings. Now, a lot of times these worldviews of the human worldview versus the biblical worldview, sometimes there's clashing, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, I, I, Tim Keller said, Christian distinctions push against culture. A lot of times we find ourselves, we're a little bit isolated because 
<clears throat> what we believe and what we see and behave is different than what the culture is promoting out there in America. And before we know it, we feel a little isolated. We, we can even feel all the way oppressed or suppressed because our voice, and, and we don't want to hear that, and, and you're just too narrow and too rigid and old-fashioned and, and, and get away. And then sometimes socially, we're not invited. Uh, socially, we're, sometimes we're not part of the party because we have a different viewpoint. But God says, hey, hang in there. This narrow road, this thriving life that uh, very few are traveling on, it should show up in our relationships. So we're, we're on the narrow path, and a lot of times we view life differently on how we treat each other. There should be a whole bunch of love on our side. That means that we forgive, and we try to tolerate, and we try to understand. We treat people fairly. Sometimes it should, a lot of times it should show up in our money management. Instead of saying, hey, the, the money's all mine, I'm just going to spend it foolishly and selfishly, that we manage it wisely. We think about and act generously with our money. It should show up in our social life. What kind of entertainment do we consume? What choices and people that we're hanging around with? What are we giving our time and our energy to? Is this nurturing to our spiritual life? Or does it grieve God and drain us and hurt us? See, there's a lot of temptations that are calling us onto the, the broad road. It's, it's very popular. It's very easy. But Christ is asking us to come to the narrow road. But he doesn't just ask us. He gives us some help. Remember when Jesus was commissioning his disciples, he said, now, now guys, I'm going to be leaving here, but I want to promise you something. I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to have your back. I will be with you. Remember he would give them, said, now you got to look to me as the, the good father, the crazy good father we talked about last week, or the good shepherd. My rod and my staff, they will comfort you. So when you're in those social settings or in some difficulties, man, I, I, I'm with you. You're not alone. I have power to help you. So be strong. Be courageous. I'm there. And this power they talked about is this supernatural power that, that the Bible talks about the third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we don't know the Holy Spirit. We're not sure about the Holy Spirit. But if you've ever made that decision, say, I want Jesus into my life, you, you, know, you don't invite Jesus physically to come in your body, but his presence, his Holy Spirit, comes into your soul. And Romans talks about that that witnesses with our soul that something is different in us, that he's living. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, what happens a lot of times, we just put the Holy Spirit in the pocket and we say, well, I'm glad, Jesus, you're living in my life. And when I need you, I'll call for you, whatever. And we go through life instead of saying, you know what? God's Spirit doesn't want to just live in my pocket. Okay, He wants all of me. And he's asking us to engage him fully to be fully spiritually and, and dwarfed with him, consumed with his Holy Spirit, that we are spirit-filled people, and we nurture that, and we sing about that, pray about that, read about that. Right before you know it, there's this supernatural divine power that can lead us through life. And before you know it, there's an overcomingness. There's a disposition. There's a positivity in our life. I, I appreciate what Peter said in Second Peter. For his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. We can do it through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The question is, how many of us are living in divine power? There is a divine power. 
uh, one of the <clears throat> descriptions of the Holy Spirit is the paraclete. Uh, this is the Greek word for the one that comes alongside, that, that, that we're not alone, that, that man, this is hot, tough, this is uphill, uh, this is uh, difficult. Yes, I am with you. This power is going to help you live holy. It's going to help you uh, go through some uh, diversity and some issues in your life, difficulties. He will be there. Well, like, like we said, we come to the conclusion of this this long sermon that Jesus did. And man, Jesus said a lot. And one of the most confronting things he said is there's two, two roads. There's the broad road, and many are on it. But it's going to lead to destruction. And then the other road is the narrow road. It's the road less traveled. The question is, what road are you taking? What road are you traversing on the God's narrow road or on the wide road? So what do we do with this? And where do we go with this challenge? For some of you, you're, you're realizing that the road you're taking is, is the broad road. Um, sometimes we've got to ask ourselves, hey, where are we? Are we on the narrow road or the, the broad road? And we've got to realize that, wake up to that. Maybe you're like, hmm, yeah, I've, I've, I've just kind of like gone with everybody else. It's the easy road. It's the popular road, comfortable road. And Maybe today you're like, hmm, I think God is calling me to the narrow road. And maybe that wide road hasn't measured up to what you thought. It's a constant, have one more thrill, one more party, one more thing. And today you could make a decision to come on the narrow road and, and Christ is there. You see, my friends, here, here's the good news. is that we've all been on the wide road. We've all been on the broad road thinking we can do it. God, we don't need you. And then some of us have heard God's voice and say, you need to repent, you need to change, you need to come to my life, the, the Zoe life, the full life in you. And God is willing to forgive us. He went to the cross to forgive us and atone for our sins by shedding his blood that we could have a new life in him. The fullness that starts on the inside and helps heal us, helps transform us into a Christ-like person. Some of you need to realize that sometimes you're trying to walk on both roads. Uh, you know, on Sundays, you're like, hey, I, I want the narrow road. I'm all into that. But when the weekend comes, you're like, wow, I don't want to miss out on anything. Before you know, you're doing stuff and participating stuff. And you're, you're just out there with everybody else, right? And man, inside, you're like, how long can I do this? I know I need to do this, but I'm doing that. And, and somewhere, you got to realize you got to make a full dedication to Christ. You've got to surrender some of the things that the, road, the wide road is offering and say, Christ, I'm dedicating my life fully to live like you and in you and through you. Some of you have to realize that you need the Holy Spirit's power. I don't know, maybe some of the teenagers are in school and they're like, man, I, I feel I'm so alone and, and, and I'm not part because I have these convictions and these standards and maybe at workplace or in your neighborhood and and, and sometimes it's like, wow, this is not, doesn't feel very fun. But there is a Holy Spirit that loves you, that's going to help you. And by his power, he can help us have a smile on our face and just continue not to judge people and, and, and to uh, feel so discouraged, but to, to just overcome, right? And know our identity in Christ Jesus. And then there is a, a love, a grip of God's perfect love that helps us walk through whatever we have to walk through. And, and frankly, for some Christians, we need to develop the Holy Spirit 
fullness in our life to nurture his love and his power and his perspective to go through life. So which of these three do you think Christ maybe is asking you? Because we've realized that thriving life is found in the road less traveled. Are you walking in that road less traveled? I'm going to kind of close with this story of this, this man here in this picture. He's in the blue. His name is Lynn Fitzgerald. Some of you know who he is because he, he's standing with a pastor and wife. Uh, um, this, this man grew up in Rochester, Minnesota. He, uh, his parents owned a trucking company, did a lot of moving, and him and his brother were taught, hey, if you want to get through in life, you better work hard and also play hard. They didn't have much of a religion, just kind of the static kind of religion. But man, they, they lived life to the full, him and his brother. Man, they worked hard through the week, moving things and stuff as teenagers. But man, they were going out with the other guys. They were an all-American, red, red-blooded boy, right? Chasing girls, drinking, doing hard things. And as he grew and grew up, he wanted to go to college because he had a dream to fly. He, he liked to fly a plane. Well, his parents said, well... You need to get some aviation education. So he says, can I go down south? It's really cold in Rochester. And they said, sure, we'll pay your way. You can go down to Arizona. He picked Arizona State. And so he he went down there to learn aviation. While he's down there, he meets this lovely lady named Kathy. But Kathy's on a different path. Uh, She's found Christ, and she's dedicated her life to, to live like Christ and be on the narrow road. The problem is she meets this handsome Minnesota guy, and he's tough and rough and driven, right? And he's on the wide road. And so they have this kind of dating relationship, and she's trying to persuade him, hey, now, I, I, you know, I kind of like you, love you, but, but I'm, I'm on this path. And he's like, you know what? I'm a self-made man. I don't need that weak stuff. I got it, and I'm going to have a career, and, and I'm just used to being tough and rough and stubborn, and I don't need that, right? Well... About that time, they really started getting serious and managing that. The Vietnam War crept up, and everyone was getting drafted. And they needed enlisted men, they needed officers, and they needed pilots. And so Fitz, that was his, his nickname, says, I'm, uh, I'm going to go and, and join one of the branches. Well, the only branch that was offered at that time for, for pilots was the Navy. So he said, fine, I'll, I'll, he goes into the Navy. And, he, and he's going off to war, so they look at each other and say, well, we probably need to get married because you never know. And so they got married, um, and so he goes off to war. And he had such a, a disposition of toughness and drive, and he excelled in the Navy, and they gave him a rescue helicopter, and he would fly off of carriers on the coast of Vietnam and pick up down pilots, and, and there were some combat issues, and, and eventually he would survive the war and come back, and they'd base him on, in San Diego. Well, his nice little wife, she was actually from uh, Arizona. They met at that, that college. Uh, so she would um, persuade him and drag him to church. And he's like, great, I don't need that church thing, man. I got my career that David likes me, and I'm a tough guy. I'm from Minnesota. And so he would be drugging the church and hear, hear messages about the wide road and the narrow road. And, and just like maybe sermons like this or messages like this, well, pretty soon, God so loved him, that tough Navy guy, that God started tapping on his heart. And he realized that his road, his life was all about himself, his career, his disposition, the way he was raised. And it wasn't nothing like Jesus. And eventually he made the choice and he said yes to Jesus. 
He humbled himself. He asked Christ to forgive all the things that offended Christ and his commands and, and asked him to come into his heart. And if God could just take this rough, young Navy officer man and try to transform him, he was willing. And, and it took some work for God to work with Fitz because he was pretty stubborn. He was a pretty prideful guy. He knew what was going on, but pretty soon his, his, his demeanor and his attitude started cha- ch- changing. But God still used him in the Navy because uh, that, that exterior and that drive served him well. And he would ascend into the Navy and he'd command squadrons of rescue helicopters and get in some very dicey combat operation. Eventually he would make to the rank of captain. Now a captain in the Navy equates to a general in the Army. And the Navy took him to Colorado Springs in, in the early 90s. This is where we met them. He was uh, part of national security in NORAD when the nuclear uh, threat was all around us. He was highly responsible stuff. You know, one of those things, if I, if I told you what I did, I'd have to kill you kind of thing, right? Well, so he was part of the local church when Terry and I walked into this, this Nazarene church like, like Faithbrook is, walked in there, and they befriended us. And they asked us about our life and took us in and asked us out and just, just loved on us and kind of mentored us. Meanwhile, uh, he, he started coming out of the Navy to retire. And he looked at his life and he said, what am I going to do the rest of my life? And, and Christ so transformed him. And he believed in the local church. And both of them were major volunteers in the local church, from small group leaders to just greeters and helping people or board members. They says, I believe in the local church mission. And so there was a parachurch ministry out there that says, we go around and, and coach and help local churches raise major money and, and for stewardship projects, for building buildings or reducing debt or wings or whatever. He says, I think I can do that. And, and so he signed up for that and made a career. In fact, he came along our former church, Osseo, and said, I'll be willing to be your consultant. I'll, I'll help you I'll put some campaigns together and, and walk you through how to raise money, ask for money, because I know God's put a dream on your life to, to leave downtown Osseo and get to some place that's visible, accessible. And uh, sure enough, through those years, I saw God change this rough, tough Minnesota guy into something that was usable and malleable. He had some softness and tenderness about him. Never forget, he was a captain in the Navy, right? You didn't want to mess with him, but God used him. Well, this picture is in 2017. This is our dedication of this, this building, and I invited them to come because they journeyed with us so many years, and they put their personal money into this building and these campaigns through the years and coaches. It was such a glorious day for us to have him here in this opening of this building in Faithbrook. Well, what's interesting about this picture is three months later, he was tragically killed in a car accident. At the age of 72, one of my mentors gone, snuffed out. It's tragic. But see, old Lynn Fitzgerald from Rochester, Minnesota, that was a hard, red-blooded American party boy, he got it. He allowed Christ to transform him, and he started thriving on the road less traveled and became a wonderful Christ-like man that impacted so many souls, including mine and you that are sitting here today. That's his ripple effect because he's willing to get on the road less traveled. And that's where we thrive. A thriving life is found on the road less traveled. Now this morning, 
you might realize you're on that wide road. And Christ is calling you to get on the narrow road. And that's going to take some faith. That's going to take some courage. That's going to take some confession and say, God, I'm kind of like that guy. I've been doing my own thing. I've been doing whatever the, the culture says. But I know that I'm wrong and I need to come with you. Would you forgive me? Would you accept me? I want to say yes to you today and live for you. Maybe you're one of those pseudo-Christians. You're like, hey, sometimes I'm on the narrow road, but a lot of times I find myself on the wide road, and I need to get dedicated. I need to just commit my life and get serious about being all in for Jesus. Jesus, would you help me? Forgive me of my inconsistency and my hypocrisy. I need to dedicate fully. For some of you, you're like, you know what? I'm having a tough time. I need to lean more into the Holy Spirit. I need to engage the Holy Spirit. And you cry out for God's Spirit to help you live strong, live holy, live righteous, no matter what the cost is going to be. Because eventually you know that's where the thriving life is. It's going to lead to heaven in eternal life. So I invite you to stand and pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to the end of this great sermon that you spoke, so many topics. We come to one of the the toughest convicting uh, passages of what road are we taking? Where do we find ourselves today? And I'm specifically praying for that person who might be viewing from someplace uh, in their home or, or traveling, that you're convicting them and calling them to get off the wide road and onto the the narrow road that leads to life. God, we know that it takes faith through your grace. And I pray right now, they would just have enough faith in their heart to say yes to you. Jesus, forgive me. I confess. I need you. And right now, would you put your spirit into me? I'm saying yes to your way. Whatever that takes, I'm willing to walk the narrow road. And Father, I'm praying for that person that right now you know, God, that they're just playing games. They're, they're just on both of the roads. And they know that they have to have the courage and the faith to dedicate their life. Either they're going to go one way or the other. And I just pray, God, that they right now say, come to me. Commit yourself to Christ. He will be with you. Your identity, your purpose Your fulfillment won't come from the parties, won't come from the culture, will come from Jesus Christ. And Father, I'm praying for that person right now, God, that they wouldn't just pull the Holy Spirit out of their pocket. Say, God, I want not you living in my pocket. I want you fully all over my life. From the moment I walk out of here till I enter work, parenting, stresses, relationships, I want the whole works, the Holy Spirit, full in my life. Do that for me. Help me to fully engage you. And Jesus, we know you're faithful. You went all the way to the cross to forgive us. And you have a place for each person. So I pray in your name, by faith in you, that you do these things. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.